The 1985-86 season started strong for the Boilermakers as they won 11 of 12 from early December through late January. It ended well also as they won six of their final eight to earn a trip to the NCAA tournament for the fourth straight year under head coach Gene Cady. The Boilermakers were hoping for a good draw after first-round exits in 1984 and 1985. The selection committee had other ideas. Welcome to Katie Corbin. I'm your host, Corey Palmer. 1985-1986 Purdue basketball season has come to a close. Gene Cady, uh, after the last two seasons, it's a little frustrating to be sitting here. Battle, you try to get your team ready to play for that situation after being what we went through last year against Auburn. Perseverance is something that uh, you learn as an athlete when you're young, and you just got to keep hanging in there. And one of these days, we'll get a good draw and get a win. On Selection Sunday in March of 1986, there were several known facts. St. John's, Duke, Kansas, and Kentucky had earned the one seeds. Michigan and Louisville were popular picks as two seeds. Everyone was still getting used to the 64-team field, which had expanded for the first time in 1985. And every single team in the field had hope after the previous season ended when Villanova took down top seed to Georgetown and cut down the Nets as an eight seed. The Boilermakers heard their name called as the sixth seed in the Southeast region, with regional semifinals and finals in Atlanta. For the opening weekend, however, the Boilermakers would head to Baton Rouge, Louisiana, to take on 11th seeded LSU. Now, calling LSU the 11th seed in the Southeast region is factually accurate, but they were nowhere near a bubble team. The Tigers began the season ranked 14th in the country, and after winning their first 14 games, rose to as high as 8th in the nation by mid-January. Injuries, academic issues, and believe it or not, an outbreak of the chicken pox led to a rough season in the SEC, and a 22-11 finish to the regular season, with three of those losses coming to a top-five Kentucky team. So LSU wasn't a typical 11 seed coming into the tournament and the Boilermakers knew the trip to Baton Rouge to play in front of a home crowd of more than 14,000 Tigers fans in LSU Assembly Center wasn't going to be easy. They were right, as the Boilermakers fell in double overtime. Here now are Coach Katie and Larry Clisby talking about the matchup, the controversy, the game itself, and the future. It's Katie Corner from March 14, 1986. 1985-1986 Purdue basketball season has come to a close. The Boilermakers finish out the year with 22 wins and 10 losses. And it closed uh, in dramatic fashion at Baton Rouge, Louisiana this past week in a double overtime defeat to the homestanding Louisiana State Tigers, 94-87. Gene Cady, uh, after the last two seasons, it's a little frustrating to be sitting here knowing uh, last year the one point lost to Auburn that saw a last second shot cup in and out, and then this year watching you go down in double overtime, it's, it's been a little frustrating, hasn't it? Well, it's uh, a situation where you go out and battle, you try to get your team ready to play for that situation after being what we went through last year against Auburn, and then uh, have this happen to you, boy, it takes, a, you know, it takes uh, some strong people to hang in there, and uh, perseverance is something that uh, you learn as an athlete when you're young and you just got to keep hanging in there and one of these days we'll get a good draw and get a break and make some breaks and uh, you know in an NCAA play you've got to stay away from injuries make your free throws and get lucky and uh, 
So far, we haven't been able to hand, handle any three of those. So it's a situation where you just got to keep your head up and be positive, and that's our total philosophy about it. So we've got to just say, hey, we're going to get a break one of these days. You know, after the draw on Sunday, when you found out you had to go to LSU and play them on their home floor, I know you were very upset about it. I'm sure the team was. But the big question was, would your team overcome that, be ready to play on Thursday? Few people doubted that you'd be ready. And I think that uh, when it was all said and done, you had a tremendous, tremendous effort. It was just a little bit short. Well, there wasn't any doubt we'd be ready. Uh, we're always going to be ready. That's just our style. But what was frustrating about it was having to go back to a home court again. And, uh, you know, the news was something that uh, was hard for us to accept because we had a tough road trip going to Minnesota, going to Iowa, and uh, won one of those that kind of hang in there. And then you come back and, and I hope that you go home that night with a good feeling, hey, we got a neutral court situation. We're going to play somebody uh, that's uh, similar to us in uh, skills, but it's going to be fair because it's going to be on a on neutral court and it's going to be fun and we're looking forward to it. But that did not happen. But, of course, after that initial shock, you go back and get your players ready and you know you're going to compete because we're not going to let anything else happen except that. So we've got to understand that we'll get a break someday and uh, get a good draw. Interesting thing about that, too, was that Purdue was the sixth seed in the southeast and LSU was the 11th seed, but certainly by playing at home, you neutralized that seeding. And if you didn't think it would bear out, it certainly did because when it was all over, LSU had won that regional because they beat the 10th-ranked uh, Memphis State Tigers on Saturday uh, with a last-second shot. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it. And I'll be honest with you, Coach, when uh, after our game was over and we saw the two overtimes and as much emotion that was spent and knowing how good Memphis State is and seeing them in person, I didn't think LSU could bounce back and play them that well. Well, you know, when you're at home, the uh, adrenaline flows when the fans are in there yelling for you. And uh, uh, I really thought they would battle them tough. And I thought, I thought it'd be a good game. I didn't know it was going to be that good, but I thought they would compete with them well. And and it turned out where they got the good roll at the last and got the ball in the hole. So that's great. That makes If you're the team that, that's rooting for LSU, they're very excited right now. Boy, it's what it's all about. So that's what we want to become involved in. And that uh, tournament, at least through the first week, has seen some real surprises, hasn't it? Well, when you get uh, 64 teams together and uh, you've got uh, as many teams that have great players nowadays, there are going to be upsets. And there's going to be uh, things happen that, that the predictors don't count on. You know, the very fact that the committee uh, would uh, have the home team be rated 11th shows me that, that uh, they need to check their whole card and uh, do some uh, common sense things because there's no way when a, a home team should be rated 11th. So that has to be eliminated from the uh, NCAA com committee's uh, selection philosophy that, that uh, we're getting there as far as uh, fewer home court situations and uh, someday it'll be completely eliminated. But right now we've still got two or three left. Well, there was a lot of pregame publicity on the LSU-Purdue game, mainly because Purdue didn't like the draw and also because LSU is coached by Dale Brown. And when Dale talks, people listen, and you never know what he's going to say. And it's always very interesting, probably as controversial a coach as we have in the country. But uh, they had a controversial year as well. Had lost uh, some people to some academic problems, had a couple of key injuries, and really didn't have the kind of year many people thought that Louisiana State would have. And, Got a little reprieve here, and as we have already seen in the first week of the tournament, have uh, made the most of it, certainly. And the first thing I'm going to look at right off the bat, uh, Gene, is probably why you were close at the half, and that was your inside play. Todd Mitchell and Doug Lee both having really strong first halves, and we're going to see a play from 
uh, Todd Mitchell, who just had a tremendous ball game, 31 points in his contest. But Todd really came to play, didn't he? Yeah, he certainly did, uh, uh, but it was nice playing a team that didn't know us inside and out, too. And uh, we, plan we executed our plays well, and they didn't stop a lot of our plays very well, so we got a lot of easy baskets against them. And, and uh, uh, the trouble was we couldn't stop them most of the time. One of the things about uh, Purdue's uh, inside game is that you got to have that outside shooting. And, you know, really in the last month of the season, you fell off a little bit hitting the outside shot, didn't you, from your guards? Well, that's going to happen uh, as you get to the tail end of the season. That's why inside play is so important rebounding-wise, defensive-wise, that uh, your inside game is always the key. And, uh, you know, the key to the NCAA play is being consistent. You know, all these upsets are happening right now, but the key is how that team can come back and do the next game. That's always very irritating to me to go play somebody that, that will beat you, then the next game they let some rinky-dink team beat them that they shouldn't. So the key to being a national champion has been has been in a situation where you have great intensity every game, you're sound defensively first, and especially on the boards, you've got to be tough rebounding. And, you know, when you have a lot of outside shooters, you're going to get beat usually with a long haul, and especially when you get down to the course of a, a, a critical situation. And your inside game and defense are so important in championship situations. Well, if you had the uh, cards stacked against you, you certainly made it even worse here because uh, Melvin McCants, really your only big-sized person in front with a lot of experience, uh, came up with a lame leg. Here's the play. Got kicked out on that play and went down. This is late in the first half, and he has done not only for the game, possibly for the season, even if he would have had a chance to go on. It was a sprained ankle, severely sprained ankle, and there's a look at Melvin as he went down. And of course, that's something that uh, really bothered you the last four or five games of the season ever since well, he... he stepped on somebody's foot and uh, turned it, and of course... Uh, Jeff Arnold came in and played great for him, and the rest of the kids took up the slack too for him. And uh, if we had to play another game, he wouldn't have played anyway because he would probably be out for about two weeks. So it was one of those situations where if you get a bad uh, break as far as injuries, you're in trouble in the NCAA playoffs, and that's what happened to us. But our kids hung in there tough, and I want to say this about our players, that uh, they went down there and they competed hard and they played uh, to the best of their abilities. They just couldn't get over the hump. We had our chance to win it and we couldn't get the, the shot to go down when we needed it because basically we didn't execute. We didn't set a screen when we should have or we didn't go back and swing it to the other side where a guy would have been open and we had time to do that and we forced the shot and it was a situation where that didn't lose the game but it was, it was, we were an opportunity to win it because a lot of other plays in the game could have made the difference too. So We're going to show you one of them right now too. This is Purdue coming out of the second half playing very well. Derek Taylor with four fouls comes in here. He's the glue that holds their team together, their point guard, and I tell you, you keep looking at this thing, and this is a charge. Uh, I think everyone would agree this is a charge because he's up, position is set, and down goes Todd. He's out of the game, and you're up sixth, and that was a four-point swing it's right there. It's not even close, and that's in compensating on the referee's part, and, you know, it cost our kids a lot of hard work, a lot of heartbreak there, and a lot of money to the university, and mainly it's just a, a situation where uh, that, that wasn't even a close call, and that gives him his, his fifth foul. Right. He's out of the game, and uh, Taylor's a great guard if, he, if they call that charging. And then the uh, play later, you know, we were up about six at that time, or five, I yeah, think. Six. He goes back the next possession that we had and steals the ball, and uh, they, they keep working the lead down and beat us. So if he's out of the game, uh, that was the key play of the game, not the shot we missed at the tail end. So uh, that's a situation where the referees do control your destiny, uh, uh, your uh, – uh, future and I can say that right now that that uh, there were some other plays that we could have executed too we could have scored so 
it's a situation where you would like to get those breaks that we talk about, and that would have been a break. But when you're playing on somebody's home court, boy, it's tough to get a break, and uh, it, it just doesn't happen very many times. It's the final shot of regulation. Purdue's in a position, as you mentioned, to win this ballgame. And you might uh, explain what's happening. Well, we're running a play here called Santa Clara, and uh, we're supposed to screen across for Troy. He comes, uh, uh, we screen for the point guard first. Troy comes out to shoot it, but they're supposed to be on screen on the weak side for Doug Lee that we wanted to get to, too. They got a shot off, came very close to hitting it well, to Don Redden. Another thing there, Larry, we shot the ball too soon. You should shoot the ball after about three seconds, and then you might have an offensive rebound, at least have time to do that, and that doesn't give the other team time to go down for a shot. So, it was a situation where I would say that youth had something to do with that, that, that the last couple of years with seniors running the club, or that where you have three or four seniors, that they would have run the play probably exactly at five to the three seconds in there, and that's just one of those things that comes along with maturity. Well, you went to the uh, first overtime, and you closed that out at 73-73. Both teams are, by this time, tremendously tired. That's another thing that you talk about the home crowd, something that I kept alluding to that when you're really tired and you've given everything you can give and both teams had, LSU as well as Purdue, that crowd, uh, when you have 13,000 on your side, can keep you emotionally pumped. And then LSU in the second overtime uh, got a couple of uh, breaks, made their breaks, came down and got a big lead on you. With a minute nine left in the game, they had an 11-point lead. Fans began to leave. They weren't cheering any longer. And uh, the Boilermakers were cooked. They were done. It was over. But it wasn't. A tremendous, tremendous effort. Purdue made up nine of 11 points in 50 seconds. And here's the final shot uh, uh, by Lee to cut it down to a two-point game with 18 seconds left. And then after free throws, Lewis takes it in. And on this play, there's still 10 seconds left. They inbound. They call an intentional foul here. And then uh, we had some controversy, too, because you picked up a technical well, what foul happened, here. Larry, on that play where Troy shot the ball, the referee blows his whistle. There's a, he calls a foul, but he doesn't have guts enough to come back and, and keep it. So, and then I'm yelling at the referee that he blew your whistle, and that's all I said, and he gives me a technical. So, you know, that's Bush League, and uh, it's part of the, uh, the situation where you get into a critical situation like that. Troy makes a layup. He gets fouled, the referee blows his whistle, but he doesn't acknowledge it, and we stopped playing, so that's what we were upset about. So the final score stood then after they were able to make uh, countless free throws here because of the technical and the uh, forced foul, so that was four shots, and of course they had the possession as well, so 94 to 87 was the final score. Despite the fact that you lost that game, though, and I have to think that uh, some good came out of this game. One, you mentioned it earlier, Jeff Arnold gave you good inside play, uh, especially defensively. I thought he did a tremendous job in there defensively. Uh, it's a game that I think that these guys who have started for you the last two years, Mitchell and Lewis, Everett Stevens, who's seen a lot of action this year, are going to always remember something that might uh, stay right there in the memory bank for the rest of their careers. And uh, it might really be a turning point for you, even though it was a loss. Well, adversity uh, with good people always comes to be uh, a, a good situation for you. So. Uh, it was a tough situation uh, for us to go in there, but the kids competed hard, and I'm very proud of them. And right now, Larry, I can tell you honestly, I was tired after the Iowa game we got back, but I'm probably more rested this year than any of the six years I've been here at the end of the season. And mainly it's because of the type of players we've had to coach, and uh, uh, they haven't made it hard on the coaches. They've done what we've tried to do. They've made it a fun season for us. We've had our ups and downs, but they've been a, a group of young men that have shown great character, and they've, they show they have some great potential for the future. 
But uh, if they uh, think that and they don't do anything about it, then they'll stay right where they are now and they won't improve and they'll have a, a poor season because now they're probably going to be rated in the early polls next year or at least in the top 40. And uh, there are going to be a lot of people pointing at us. And uh, that, that is the reason that you have to come back and uh, get in the weight room and uh, work on your own and in the, in the summer months improve your game. Several very good teams uh, in the Big Ten Conference that will uh, come back with a lot of people that uh, have seen a lot of playing time. Uh, Iowa's another very, very good young team. And then, of course, Indiana, Illinois, and Michigan all have uh, recruiting and so forth where they're going to be able to blend some people with some people. And we don't know about Michigan State. They weren't supposed to be heard of this year, and they've done a super job. And that's usually the case in this conference. You, find one team every year that's going to surprise you. And Purdue was in that category again this year by winning 22 games. But Gene, uh, knowing, and you just talked about it, alluded to it in the other segment, that people will point to you next year. I think uh, you were being general when you said maybe in the top 40. I I'm sure that Purdue's going to be in the top 25, top 20 when the season starts next year in the preseason polls. Where will you have to improve? What, what are some of the things, either personnel-wise or what the players you have now are going to have to improve to be, uh, be a top 20 club? Well, I think just from a natural maturity that you're going to become better offensively. I think your scoring always gets better as you get older. Uh, the two things we've got to do to become a better basketball team if we want to compete in the top division teams and play on somebody's home court and have a chance to beat them uh, two out of three times, which you've got to do in the Big Ten to win the title, is to improve our passing, first of all, and passing judgment. And second, defensively, every player has to get better and, have, and want to get better and understand they've got to get better because uh, we've got two or three guys that couldn't stop me, and I'm 49 years old. And that's true. Of course, I could go about two minutes, and they'd wear me down. But <laughs> they've got to understand how important defense is. And if they don't want to do that, then they'll be mediocre and not become a great club uh, nationally. Because right now, we've got a chance to get on national television and uh, be one of those uh, teams, uh, those TV teams and uh, the, the type of clubs that are on there all the time and we got the personnel to do it if the kids will improve and want to. Todd Mitchell and Troy Lewis and I was thinking about this the other day I don't think they've taken any time off in the last two years. Would you like to see them get away from basketball for a little bit? I told at my press conference a couple of weeks ago that uh, I think that they need to get away from it a month or so and uh, get reestablished because anytime players say go in the Pan American Games or the Olympics that that following year they normally don't have very good years because it's mentally draining to some of them. And then some of them are, you know, they just love it so much it doesn't affect them any. So it, it differs with individuals. I think they need to take some time away from the game and then come back with new enthusiasm and, and uh, get reestablished. Let's talk about uh, the schedule for next year uh, just off the bat. Some interesting notes on that. I know you have a, a date with North Carolina and Dallas sometime in December. Well, we go to Stetson for our first game. And as you know, Stetson is in Orlando, and that's where Disney World is. So that'd be a good trip for some of the fans that want to plan that. Uh, unfortunately, our players won't get involved in that, probably, But uh, as far as going to Disney World. But uh, then we'll play Wichita State here and Louisville here and Tampa here. And uh, we'll go to University of Connecticut, and we go to Detroit, and we go to Toledo to repay those games. And uh, we will... Uh, go to a tournament uh, at, right after Christmas in Dallas and play uh, North Carolina the first game. And they don't, then it'll be SMU, the third team, which is the host team, and they don't have the fourth team yet. Purdue had a very young club this year. They lost two seniors, Herb Robinson and Matt Gaddis. They'll have two seniors back and Tim Fisher and Doug Lee. First coach, let's talk about the two that will depart. 
I know uh, tremendous careers here. Well, Herb and Mack won the league when they were here. Uh, when a senior can graduate with the league ring on his finger, he's had a pretty good career. They've been in the NCAA four years in a row, which not many seniors in the country can say that. And they've been very positive leaders, and uh, both of them will have the degrees. And uh, they've been fun to coach and been good people to work with. So I, can't, I don't think any coach could ask you for any more than that. And uh, Doug Lee and Tim Fisher have the uh, important role of leading next year. Both tremendous young men. And, uh, of course, uh, Doug gave us a great boost this year. And uh, Tim Fisher was a, a great influence on our players. He has the role of our quarterback in practice with the opposing team scout squad and plays so hard every practice that basically uh, if, you, if it's, it's hard to rotate more than really three guards in there that he really deserved to play a lot more. But next year he's going to get his chance. And of course, your junior class is loaded with very experienced people, so they're going to have a leadership role as well. So you're going to have much more leadership and experience than you had uh, this particular year. Finally, would be recruiting. I know you have two uh, young men already uh, committed, uh, John Brugos from Crown Point and uh, Tony Jones, a, a young man that's uh, done very well at Fort Wayne Northrop. Those are two that you have in mind and still working on a few others, I'm sure. Well, we have one young man supposed to decide Sunday night, and we hope he'll come our way. And then uh, don't forget that we've got Tony Patterson and Ryan Burning redshirted, and uh, we're counting on things out of them. So it's a a, a squad that's very young this year, but now they're a lot older because of the year they went through. And any time you come back after a, a, a year of summer in there and the time that you put in before October 15th again, everybody changes. I mean, there's, there's usually those three or four guys that really improve a lot. A couple of them you count on may not be as uh, improved as you think they ought to be because they didn't work at it like they should have. So there's always those guys you're counting on to come through. They don't do it. But there's always those four, four, four or five that you didn't think is going to be quite as good, and they come through even more. So that's what, that's what we're looking forward to, and it, it ought to be fun and ought, ought to be exciting. As Cliz mentioned, the home team didn't just take down six-seeded Purdue. LSU also knocked off third-seeded Memphis State to advance to the Sweet 16. There, LSU defeated second-seeded Georgia Tech and top-seeded Kentucky before falling to eventual national champion Louisville in the Final Four. The Tigers' improbable run ranks with George Mason and Loyola Chicago as the lowest-seeded teams to ever make it to the Final Four, further evidence that their seeding was likely quite a bit off from what it should have been coming into the tournament. Despite the tough finish, the future was bright for the Boilermakers, as Coach and the Cliz said. Sophomore Troy Lewis led the team, averaging 18 points a game, and classmate Todd Mitchell averaged 15 points and 7 rebounds per contest. Matt Gaddis and Herb Robinson were the only players that would need to be replaced on a team that would begin the 86-87 season, ranked fourth in the country. And we'll pick up the story there next week on Katie Corbin.